really couldn't happen to a nicer comedian. This podcast is brought to you in partnership with Moodbeam, the first wearable for the mind, a simple device that lets you log how you feel at the push of a button. Visit us at moodbeam.co.uk to order yours. Together, we can change the way the world sees mood. Welcome back to the Really Cast. We're talking comedy and alcohol today with special guest and comedian Amber Tozer. Now, comedy is one of those things, isn't it, where you forget that the person you see on stage is not necessarily the person who walks off the stage. I remember seeing Bottom Live at Hall City Hall back in the 90s. I actually credit that show for getting me through my drama GCSE. Because really, I was crap at performing, completely disinterested in Shakespeare, but seemingly, for some reason, immensely passionate about two grown men blowing up a toilet on stage. But when we hung around outside after the show for a glimpse of our comedy heroes, Aid Edmondson and Rick Mell, I remember expecting to meet Eddie Hitler and Richard Richard, the bottom characters. Of course I didn't. While Aid Edmondson flicked a few cheeky V's at us, a la Eddie Hitler style, Rick Mail seemed rather more quiet. I'm not sure what I was expecting, though, to be honest. Was I expecting to see the two characters, Eddie Hitler, Richard Richard? Might they have shoved my head into a fridge and hit the door while laughing ecstatically with blood spurting out everywhere? Those stage personas are stage personas, thankfully, which we can all watch at a distance. And of course, it was Aid Edmondson and Rick Mail who walked out of the City Hall after the show. Real-life human beings, mortals, which we tragically now know all too well, having lost one of our greatest comedy heroes, R.I.P. Rick. Perhaps there's an expectation of being able to stay in character once you step off that stage, whether that be an actual character or a stand-up persona, when all you really want to do is just sit in a quiet corner and chill the fuck out. Perhaps the stand-up scene is a place where your energy, your strange thoughts, your drinking to excess feel more at home. Perhaps it makes you feel more normal being in that environment. Perhaps those things become invisible. Now, there's no average comedian personality and there's no average alcoholic personality. The acts you see on stage and the behaviours that addiction creates are not representative of the real person behind them. So, someone who is sharing her experience of this firsthand through her writing, through her comedy, is the wonderful Amber Tozer, who I am delighted to be speaking to this week for The Really Cast. So, hello Amber, welcome to the podcast. Hi, thanks for having me. Not a problem. It's great to chat to you. So we're going to be talking all about comedy, um, stand-up, writing, um, and all about the impact on mental health or vice versa, however it works. And obviously, this is something you've written a lot about, but let's start with your comedy career. It's quite diverse, I think, now in terms of the types of comedy you do, but you began in stand-up. What 
on earth made you venture into what I, I can only imagine is one of the most daunting careers there is? <laughs> um, I'm not quite sure what it was, but when I was 21, I moved to New York on my own and I... I don't know. I, I think I secretly had the secret that I wanted to be a performer, but I went to business school and I grew up in a town where there wasn't a lot of artsy resources. So I sort of had the secret that I wanted to be a performer. And then I moved to New York and I thought, this is the place to try it. Um, I didn't quite know that I wanted to do stand up yet until I started obsessively going to shows. Mm. So this was back in 1999 and I would obsessively go to alternative comedy shows. And, uh, I mean like for a year, I probably went every single night while I was working in an office, you know, I had a typical office job that I hated and I thought, you know, I got to do something about this urge. (laughs) And so I, uh, I took a, six-week comedy stand-up comedy workshop and the the, I guess you could call it the graduation ceremony was where you performed at a stand-up comedy club and you did five minutes so you sort of worked for six weeks on a a set and then you got on stage and and I did it and I I didn't do great but I didn't do horrible so I I it kept me wanting to get better at it and it sort of took off from there. And, um, and it was fun, you know, I was just like really young and partying and sort of exploring New York and diving into this industry. And, uh, and it was terrifying, but I really, I don't know. There was something about stand up when you have like insane thoughts or insane judgments or insane uh, observations they're not necessarily in that's not all insane but you just mm. have these observations where you're like I wonder if anyone else will get <laughs> this you know like <laughs> so I guess you sort of figure that out on stage but yeah, yeah I just I was really I loved it so much when I was watching it and I and I thought you know this maybe I can do this and so I tried and I yeah it was fun it was fun for a bit yeah and it's interesting you're saying of course it's terrifying taking that first step on stage I think it's terrifying for a lot of people just taking a front seat at the stand because (laughs) even the audience can feel a little bit daunted about um having to say the occasional sentence on on stage with a comedian but um we do tend to think that comedians are sort of super confident gregarious beings that they find humor in everyday life what's the truth well I can't speak for all comics there's so many there's so many different types there's like your depressed introverts there your there's the life of the parties there's you know the ones that are always on then there's the ones who are you know are super boring and bland off stage but they're amazing joke writers so I mean it, it's hard for me to say like uh, it's hard to stereotype actually because mm, mm. um, I think the, there's all sorts but we I don't know I think but we definitely are a, a, a twisted lot I guess, <laughs> <laughs> I guess you could say uh, uh, but yeah you know and there's some insecurities there and there's like need for validation mm. there's you know uh the uh, you know there's the mediocre types but somehow have loads of confidence <laughs> yeah and just you know just make it and then there's the 
brilliant, most talented ones who self-sabotage. So I... There's no kind of comedy personality. It's, it's a profession that people from all different backgrounds and with different personalities go into. I suppose that's what we're saying, isn't it? It's Yeah. Yeah, there's no kind of standard comedian. That would be pretty awful if there was. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, but in terms of the stand-up scene, which you were very much part of in your early career, that again, the perception of that, I think, and whether or not this is true, is that it's pretty hedonistic. Is that the case? And if so, did it drive you to drink or did drink drive you to stand-up? Which way round did it happen? I think both. You know, I was drinking a lot before I started doing stand-up, um, but it was a drinking culture and I loved it. Mm-hmm. And I would have to have a couple of drinks before I got on stage. And and then you get off stage and whether I did well or bad, I was I wanted to drink. So it fueled it. So I feel like I would have been a big drinker without stand-up. Mm-hmm. But stand-up definitely, uh, I, I, I don't know, it was just part of the culture and I had to have a couple of drinks before I got on stage. I suppose there's the um, the issue around getting on stage and performing, but then it's the environment and the culture that stand-up is in because the day job in the office is, you know, you're nine to five, quite a sedate environment compared to stand-up, whereas you're probably performing in clubs and bars and everybody around you is kind of having a drink. And I suppose because it's there, it's it, the audience is big night out. So I suppose it it must feel like quite a strange, almost like every night's a, a weekend night. Is that what it's like? Yeah, it, it did for me. And I'm trying to remember, like, I, I probably was drinking way more than everyone else. But then there were, I, rem- I don't know, it just felt so normal just to mm. keep the drink all night. And, you know, whether that means two drinks for you or, you know, seven drinks, which was probably my average. Uh, uh, yeah, it, it, it would just felt just like it's just what you did. And then, you know, for me, even when I realized uh, that I was drinking a lot, I sort of romanticized it. I was like, well, it's it's the life I live as an artist, mm. you know, just like romanticizing it. Yeah. So you've written about your struggles with addiction, particularly around alcoholism, in your book, Sober Stick Figure, which um, I've, I myself have read. Um, and it is, as only natural, I guess, for a comic, really funny. But reading your story, Boozers led you down some pretty dark paths during that time. Does it help you to kind of frame it in a humorous way and, and kind of look back and laugh at some of those experiences in retrospect yeah I mean it's super helpful and it is I think you have to laugh because if you don't it's just really depressing so I think with the in my book I the illustrations are just a fun way to to create funny visuals and dialogue throughout the insanity mm-hmm. you know so I mean most of my book is just like drunken stories the insane things I did while I was drinking, the insane things that I thought. But yeah, I think it's, for me, just being able to to laugh has been such a huge part of recovery, you know? And mm. I just, I just, it's like my go-to default. Yeah. Yeah, so it, it's helped me loads. And I, I was so thankful to get the opportunity to um, 
write my story in a funny way using illustrations because it it just it takes the heaviness away of it because mm. it is such a dark addiction is such a dark twisted horrible thing to live with whether you're the addict or you're living with an addict it's such like a confusing baffling just it's a dark hole of mystery so if you can sort of um for me just lighten it up a little bit Mm -hmm. and and get some clarity on yeah the people do recover and isn't it crazy how we used to be Mm. I I don't know it just just makes it more (laughs) just easy to swallow I guess and you did your own illustrations, which are, as the title suggests, uh, stick figures in all manner of strange, drunken scenarios. How did you come up with that? Was that Did you start writing and then that became a way of kind of bringing it to life? Or, or did you know when you started writing your story that you wanted to illustrate it? Um, I was brainstorming with my agent because I said you know he was we, we were just going back and forth on what to write about and I said I like writing funny stuff about addiction and then uh I don't know we started talking about he's like maybe you can do some illustrations can you draw and I said the I said I can barely draw a stick figure and uh-huh. he said oh that'd be funny sober stick figure so <laughs> that's how it came about and then you know, I thought, oh, I'll do a few illustrations, but I ended up doing 250 of them. And uh, <laughs> I spent just as much time on those horrible illustrations as I did writing it, which I sort of regret. But um, <laughs> I think and, they're, they're fabulous but, illustrations. And, but the illustrations were so fun uh, mm. to do. Like, uh, you know, and I, I started doing more because I took a break after I wrote it. But now I'm starting to do illustrations again. Mm-hmm. And um, but yeah. So, um, so one thing that I think, in my opinion, really isn't funny is the way that addiction is looked upon by some people, many people, sadly, actually, in society today. What's your view on stigma around addiction? I just think people have no idea. I, I just think it's ignorance. Some people argue that addiction is purely about excess and indulgence. They think that it is a choice. They think that it's just about partying too much or, you know, it, it's a lifestyle choice as opposed to a mental health problem. Well, there really is no arguing with people. Like, I, I'm fascinated by people who think they know something that they've never experienced. Mm. So... To me, it's like, all I can do is share my story in a way that it, it, and like we all do, everyone is sharing their story now online. For me, my personal experience, it is, it's unexplainable the lack of power I had over my decision to drink. Mm. Like it would, it was like, I would wake up in the morning and think I'm not drinking today. And then by five o'clock, I would completely forget that I wanted to not drink. Mm. It, it, it is completely a mental health issue. It It, it is, um, I don't know, but how can you change somebody's mind? I just think the more of us, like if, if we can all, everybody in recovery gather together, just keep sharing our story until it becomes like a bigger message. Mm. Maybe people think, oh, maybe it is an issue. Sort of like the Me Too being like, no, women, you know, this is what's happening. Like, so. Like, this is the reality of it. Yeah, this, is... this is the reality. Listen to us. 
So that's all we can do. But I try not to get too caught up on it because mm. it trying to change somebody's mind on anything is um, sometimes impossible. So it's, it's just like I can't – you got to focus on – recovery as opposed to what other people think about it and and I suppose that's the other thing as well if you're looking at it if if you're not paying too much attention to those people who have fixed views on it like you said people who've never experienced it but actually in sharing your story you're reaching people who may be going through something and may just need to hear that somebody else gets it and to be able to relate their experiences which in turn may well one help them to understand that there is something damaging in in their drinking for example or or to have the 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 courage if if you would call it courage to to seek help and to admit there's a problem which i think you know a lot of people who are sharing their own stories of mental health problems whatever they are i think that's that's kind of probably the most important impactful thing in what they're doing do you, do you find it though in terms of writing about your own experience do you find that cathartic at all i do i think i think i sort of actually wrote my way into recovery because when i was drinking i was writing about how much i was drinking and how much i wish i could stop and and, and so i think i was even like planting the seeds to get sober through writing and then and then, you know, when you, depending on what program you choose to help you with recovery, there's usually writing involved mm. and you sort of have to like get it out of your head. Like, what is the truth? What did I do? What is happening? So it's very cathartic because it, sometimes I think as an addict, when you just let those thoughts live in your head and then your nervous system gets involved, you can't even, then you're so emotional. You have no idea what you're even upset about. And so, I mean, you probably know this too. Like, of course you do. You know, just getting it out onto paper, letting it move out of your head physically, like onto a sheet of paper. Mm. Um, I think there's something I've noticed as well in writing about things retrospectively because, you know, I'm I'm 40 now and I if I write about the first panic attack I had when I was 15, which at the time was absolutely terrifying... But now I can look back on it and I, I can see some humorous aspects of it. I'm not belittling the impact of it, but it kind of helps to look at it in that way. But then I've also found writing in the moment can be incredibly cathartic when by getting your thoughts on paper. So if I've been, if I felt like a panic attack is coming on and getting my thoughts down on paper, I can almost rationalize my way through mm -hmm. it. So that by the time I get to the end of, say, a blog post, I'm kind of like, Oh, I feel better now. That makes sense. I'll go to sleep, which I think is a, a different um, type of writing. But no, it's good. Yeah, you could sort of uh, let it move through you in a different way besides your head, which yeah. is sometimes is the, the scariest place to be. So, so obviously, you mentioned in recovery, there's various programs, etc. And writing might be a part of your actual recovery program. But what, which kind of path did you go down? Did you did you do it yourself, or did you use peer support? Or I chose the twelve steps only because it's the only thing I knew existed at the time, and it and it totally worked for me but not on the first time like I tried to quit thousands of times before I actually quit mm. which was you know almost 11 years ago but I find the 12 steps to to work for me and and meetings um really are helpful it's confusing at first 
but, and, you know, the program was written in the thirties by a bunch of white men. So it's, (laughs) (laughs) it needs a little decoding. Mm -hmm. Um, but that's, that worked for me. So it was like loads of just talking to other people in recovery. And then, um, throughout the 12 steps, there's a a lot of writing involved. Mm. So, yeah. And I think people have said with any mental health problem that we shouldn't see recovery as a straight line. I suppose there's something in managing expectations and not kicking yourself too much if you do have a bumpy ride when you first start seeking help, would you say? Yeah, absolutely. And everyone's so different. You know, I've just heard so many different stories. It's like some, it might take people many times to actually stop using. And then once you do, once you're not drinking or doing drugs, there's the dealing with the thinking Mm. that sort of led you there. And that's not easy at all. You're like, Oh, this, it feels nice to not be hung over today. But I I still have these insane thoughts that, you know, make me paranoid or depressed or anxious or so then you have to do that work. So I think for me, like when I was or when I still get depressed in sobriety, I'm like, God, I'm still not happy. And then you start beating yourself up because you think something's wrong because you're depressed and you're not drinking. and So, yeah, you do have to sort of take it easy. And there's so much pressure to be happy. It's like, just allow yourself to have a shitty day. Just Mm -hmm. sort of recognize that you're in a shitty mood and know that it's going to pass instead of like, this is, I'm talking to myself, not really giving advice, but like, you know. But I think it's, I think it's really relevant and not just in addiction and, and, you know, mental health problems. There's so much of the, the thought patterns are very similar. And I think that recovery isn't an instant. It's not a straight line. It's never going to be Nirvana, is it? It's, it. It's about finding normal life again, I suppose, and dealing with it, isn't it? Yeah, and it's so funny because for me, all even so many of my dreams came true in sobriety, and so like all these big milestones I hit, and then I'm still like, now what? What's next? Okay, that was great. It made me feel good for a little bit. So it's this like constant. It's scary to get what you want, mm. and then be like, um shit (laughs) I'm not gonna be happy for the rest of my life because I got that thing uh oh no so then you go it's just like waves and this takes like you know because everybody's life gets so much better in sobriety but it's this constant um daily practice that you gotta you gotta work on your own head and well-being for me I got to do a little bit every day otherwise Mm. and I have to tell you I I was dry for a bit um meaning I wasn't working on recovery at all like my book came out I got married to a great guy like I was really busy with all of these things all these dreams coming true and so I stopped um doing the work doing the work I felt okay because I was distracted by all these good things little did I know that this like net was being pulled out from under me because you know after after you come down from that high from like your a a career something great happening in your career getting married you always come down from that high and then I was left with like you know living in a new country not not feeling like drinking at all 
but also like not wanting to do any work either. And I got a little bananas. I'm totally, I'm back and I'm doing the work again. Thank God right now. But I, it's fascinating what happens when you stop, when you think you're fine, where you're like, I'm fine. Yeah. I'm not going to drink. I'm fine. Da, da, da. Yeah. And talking about um, milestones and things like that, um, from a professional point of view, we've obviously talked a little bit about your early career in stand up. Obviously, comedy is the theme that runs through everything that you do and you, you've, you've released a, a book, Sober Stick Figure. But tell us a bit more about um, how your career progressed. And was it a conscious decision to move from stand up into comedy writing? Was it for health reasons or for interest reasons or? You know, when I quit drinking, I got really clear, not really clear. It wasn't instant, but I sort of shifted into to um, just really enjoying writing jokes and not so much being on stage and performing them. Mm. And I sort of awoke to like, I think when I was drinking, I just loved the party lifestyle and stand up fit that. So when I got sober, I was like, I liked it. First of all, I would see my friends who were really exceeding at stand up and they would, you got to get up like five nights a week. Mm. Do you know what I mean? Like you have to do it all the time. You're not just going to do it every once in a while and become a, a great stand up or become a star. You have to really work at it. And I thought, what am I willing? What am I good? What are my strengths? And I was, was sort of inconsistent at stand up but really loving writing. So I decided to put my energy where I, where I loved it most. And so it, it was a gradual thing. Like I still would do shows here and there and I still perform once in a while, but I, I just wanted to make sure I wasn't putting my energy where my heart wasn't. And and the types of comedy writing that you've done, because you've got sort of series on YouTube, you've done stuff for TV in America. Tell us a bit about, I suppose, a little whistle-stop tour of the different types of writing that you've done, some of the big projects you've worked on. Um, well, the the web series I did a few years ago was um, called Knit With. I worked with a filmmaker, and we did about 30 short films, and we worked with other writers and performers, and we would take tweets and turn them into sketches. So... It, basically a joke inspired a whole sketch and you know I wrote a few of them I acted in a few of them helped co-wrote a few of them and then you know produced it so I did that and then I wrote for um an animated series uh on Cartoon Network in the States called Mad um based on Mad Magazine and then I did some punch-up writing for a animated series called Moral Oral on Adult Swim and then my book uh Sober Stick Figure came out a couple years ago, and now I am back doing more illustrations, and I'm trying to sell another TV show. So brilliant! And you're you're based in the UK now, aren't you? Yeah, I I still go to LA a lot, but yeah, I live um, in England, just south of London, um, uh, with my husband Tim. How do you find it? How do you find the UK compared to living in oh, LA? Oh God. <laughs> It is so different. It is so different. I thought it would be easy because we speak English, <laughs> but oh my God, it is a different 
world, I find it, it's been, it's been a rough transition. First of all, the weather, I was in LA for 12 years and winters in England are brutal, but I'm used to it now. <laughs> so you just sort of carry like the gray skies and the freezing winters. I, oh, it, it, it's been tough. And then, um, I find it, it's interesting because Americans are so direct and sort of loud and personality plus and uh English people are I don't know I feel like I'm always in the middle of a riddle when I'm <laughs> when I'm in a conversation I'm like what do you mean what is that okay you that's a leading question is that well, you know because Americans just tell you yeah and English people try to get you to figure it out <laughs> like god Ah! One of the best descriptions I've heard, I think, of being in England is like being in the middle of a riddle. And it certainly is at the minute, but we'll not go into politics. But Oh, God. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so um, what have you got on the horizon? What's coming up? What are you working on? Well, I, um, I, I'm pitching a few different television shows and I, I'm producing a monthly show in London and then I do it in L.A. every like three months. Yeah, I just started to do this. We've just done a few of them, but... It's a storytelling show mm -hmm. where performers get to tell a story about whatever they want, but at some point they have to start yelling. Yeah, and hopefully, you know, I'm sort of rattling around some ideas for a new book. Mm -hmm. um, I'm just not quite clear on that yet, but... Well, lots of different things on the horizon, but for anybody who's listening who wants to grab a copy of your book, Sober Stick Figure, where can people get their hands on a copy? Definitely Amazon, and Amazon's the best place. I think in England, they're, they're still at some Waterstones, and in the States, Barnes & Noble, um, you know, random bookshops, but the probably the easiest is Amazon. Well, I strongly recommend people get a copy because it was a really eye-opening enlightening and also very funny book and i think the stick figure drawings are superb so oh, thank you <laughs> thank you so much for coming on and sharing that with us and anyone listening do get straight on amazon get a copy of sober stick figure and tell us what you think thank you amber thank you So that's all from this week in the world of comedy with Amber Tozer. Next week, we're going to be chatting with Yvette Castor all about the world of journalism.